So, welcome everybody. Thanks for coming back. Today we have another very interesting and very relevant topic um, in this podcast. It's called No Snow. Whoa. <laughs> um, this subject is a great concern of mine for a long time. Um, it reviews one of the biggest stories, environmental stories and global stories probably that are out there. Um, but I find it's widely overlooked uh, for the impact and for the relevance, and it, it's not really given full credit. So let me explain to you what we're trying to do here. Um, it obviously deals with a lack of snow, which then affects uh, food security, the water and the snowpack and farming and many other aspects, as you will see. So um, let me jump into the subject then. Uh, as you know, I'm a scientist. I have the luxury to travel sometimes for projects. And um, when I travel, I was um, some years ago in the Himalaya Hindu Kush area. I've worked there for many years on and off. So I get a little bit of a sampling perspective, really. And um, I go there in different parts of the year. Um, I was some years ago in the Annapurna area, very famous, one of the highest areas in the world, over 7,000 meters or 7,000 meters, something. And um, I don't do climbing on the peaks. I do other, other works in the lower areas, which are around 3,000 meters, up to 5,000 meters, perhaps. Um, I was there in December. Um, there were not many tourists. I was some on some hiking trails. I was in some villages. I was uh, at some specific sites. I wanted to, to study for other things, wildlife. And we went up to 5,000 meters, perhaps a bit less. And um, one of the striking features at that time um, was, number one, it was pretty warm. And secondly, there was very little snow. Now, I have to say, um, in these areas, in the Himalayas, it's actually not so far away from the equator. And so by definition, it's a very different winter than what we are used to in the Northern Hemisphere. If you go in the lower areas, uh, lower elevation areas, you find uh, sun and you find, of course, no snow, like it's typical for these regions. But when you go up in altitude, you should expect snow, you should expect winter conditions, very severe ones. Um, and I must say at 3000 meters, I was completely ready for it. Uh, it. It was freezing, yes, there were freezing temperatures, but um, snow was little. And it I was concerned. I thought, okay, it has to do with being on 3,000 meters. So we went to higher areas for other reasons. And I found similar situations. There's very little snow. I'm looking up uh, into the high mountains that I can see from there up to 7,000 meters. And also the snow cover is not super dense and a lot. There is some, of course, as snow covered overall. It's white, but um, not what I had expected or what I knew from other historical records. Uh, so it worried me. I was wondering, why is there so little snow? And of course, the answer at that time was uh, snow, uh, climate change and intense sun and um, yeah, an atmosphere that allows the, the radiation to be so so strong. But it, it's really obvious that you go in these classic snow areas, such as Hindu Kush Himalayas, different places, and you find relatively little snowpack. That has many implications, which I will discuss in a minute. But as, as it happened, <clears throat> I came back from that trip and because uh, I had all my work done and there was weekend, I thought like, well, let's just uh, go here next to where I live. Um, that's Denali, Denali National Park. I was there on the weekend for a day 
And um, I was in a village called Healy, and um, it's a national park, as you know, Mount McKinley, or as it's formerly called, or Denali, uh, is one of the, the highest mountain in North America. So, I mean, it has relevance for ecological and, and environmental reasons. And um, Healy, obviously, is not that high in, in altitude, uh, but it's high in latitude, so that compensates for that. And there should be, of course, in midwinter, which is like end of December, in that case, um, th there should be some sort of snow there so i thought it would be good to take the skis with me and um you know ski do some um cross-country skiing in some of the areas very classic areas there um in in some of the higher valley plateaus and and do that but um what happened is i fell down uh, because there was not much um snow and there were a lot of open areas and i was gliding into these rock areas and uh, again i fell and i had dogs with me and it was not uh, was was pretty unpleasant for a while um so um it's it's another sighting just just a few days later out of this uh himalaya experience um back to alaska in a higher altitude uh subarctic uh, on higher latitude i mean at least denali has has a, has a high mountain and we have the same issue there there's very little snow now healy has a whole history of certain snow and um this is all um very peculiar because uh, Healy as a village also has um, a coal mine. It's a traditional coal mining place in Alaska, actually, in interior Alaska. And it has a railway and it has settlement and it has um, a, a power plant there, a coal power plant and so on. It's located in a, in a locked valley, if you wish. And it's always pretty warm there. I have some, some temperature measurements that look to me pretty warm. Uh, so anyway, um, it's another place where we are out of snow, really. Now, I lived in Alaska for 20 years, and Alaska overall, I, I haven't really taken much note of it when I came to Alaska, how much snow there was, but I can tell you the last five years, uh, we've seen dramatic changes, including rain in, in mid-December um, and warm temperatures and, and melting snow and, and all these things. Um, that, that shouldn't be there in my understanding of a northern hemisphere subarctic winter. Uh, when you look at the temperature descriptions for Alaska, it, it of course, um, has been always super cold. Um, that is warming up, of course, that, that's known. But the lack of snow hasn't really received the attention I think it should. Mm, so then I recently looked into the news, and uh, I see that in the Alps, um, there are some winter uh, recreational areas and where people do skiing. It's a traditional ski resort and so on. And you look at the photos, and it's it's dramatic. I mean, there is, there are some ski uh, areas. You see the skiing places. They are filled with artificial snow that basically comes out of a snow cannon. It's created. Uh, people do everything to keep it cool. But if you're off that ski area, you are basically in in, in, in on rock and on, on on some sort of grass vegetation there, and it's actually a very bad falling if you fall into this. Uh, in other words, um, in the Alps, in many areas, they have these problems in a dramatic way that truly the natural snow is not only missing, at least from a skiing perspective, if you think of recreational skiing and uh, tourism, um, the uh, natural snow doesn't play a role anymore. I mean, this is totally like, who would have guessed that? I mean, the, the worst case forecasts many years ago were like 100 years this will happen. Now we have that in the year 2023, and when you look at the newspaper uh, photos that were published there official, uh, uh, for the official record, I mean, it's, it's, it's really as dramatic as, as the horror scenarios told you it would be in 100 years from now. So that in itself um, is 
pretty scary. Now, um, um, in some of my podcasts, I've reported a little bit on, on the Antarctic work I was able to do. And um, I've worked in Antarctic uh, on the ground for three years uh, on some vessels and um, mostly with tourists, of course. And um, I was in different areas. We shipped around the different areas where there was ice and snow. Uh, as you know, Antarctic is, is the biggest area for, of snow and ice in the world. Uh, so we were on this peninsula, which is not directly on the South Pole, of course. It's more closer to Latin America. But nevertheless, it's, it's Antarctica. And um, uh, we were also in the, in, the, in the Antarctic Circle and so on. And what I haven't fully realized at that time, at least on the first year, is how much of a melting landscape that is. Um, I was melting. I was warm uh, in in Antarctica. Uh, I was sweating, which we we went there in the in December uh, January, which happened to be um, the Antarctic summer in, in quotes. But um, summer means a different thing on the Antarctic continent. Nevertheless, um, ice was melting. It was very muddy. The penguin colonies were muddy. They were stinky, like they typically are, but not that muddy. As a result, is that some chicks even can drown. It's possible in some of the melting ice, uh, melting snow water. And it's actually not a pleasant place in some some instances. So anyway, um, I, I realized also in Antarctica that that of course uh, we have warming and that really snow is the issue. Like snow is is going down and it's going less, becoming less. And um, also the quality of snow, of course, is changing throughout the world. And there are different snow qualities and snow types. And we are moving into this snowy mesh, watery substance that. Um, Historically, hasn't always been like that. So um, that's a clear. You can have many other examples. If you go to Patagonia or if you go to um, uh, Finland or to Russia or something, you you find same experiences there. Uh, the snow issue is is changing. Uh, and now, how severe is that? And that that's my concern here. That the severity of the issue is really not fully recognized, acknowledged, or, or realized. Uh, snow has many, many implications for the local climate, for the regional climate, for the global climate, because it's obviously white and it has a certain reflective um, characteristic. It has to do with the reflective of sun. It, it buffers the sun. Uh, it buffers temperature for a long time because it's cold. It creates its own water resource. Um, snowpack is the keyword here. The snowpack is heavily reduced, not only in the in the volume, but also in the quality and the, in the quantity then. Um, it will affect the water tables. Um, to give you the example that has been mentioned before, it's not new, but I just mentioned it to you. In the Rocky Mountains, for instance, um, the Rocky Mountains are feeding many rivers, of course. The snow pack in the Rocky Mountains is really important for many river systems in the U.S., including the Mississippi River, and it will uh, uh, feed farming and, and yeah, create food security issues when you take that water away. Um, so what we currently see really is a total collapse of that snowpack. Um, if we don't have it yet, it will come. I mean, in the Alps, it was really extreme when you look at these photos there um, in Europe. Um, farming will be uh, the big issue there, um, including natural processes that are out there. The whole water cycle globally is affected by that. As you know, water is life. Um, you know, the estuaries, uh, let's say Himalaya estuaries like the Ganges River, or some of the um, rivers in, in China, the Yellow Sea, and so on. I mean, these are river systems that all together in the Himalayas feed over 2 billion people. Um, 
the whole wealth, the welfare of a nation is often driven by water itself. If you take the water away, that has many implications. In the Arctic, where I live in Alaska, um, uh, there is permafrost, and the permafrost is melting and it's getting mushy. Um, it's it transitioning in, into a different stage, really. Um, I, I see holes in the in, in the ground, big, big holes that come from the thermocast melting, um, big holes on the road. It's a big issue for the public transportation, for instance. Um, it's an issue for people who are on, on the trails in the forest. Uh, if you go there with dogs or skiing or whatever you do, um, you sometimes get uh, falling into these big holes that are like up to two or three meters deep. I mean, it's it's, it's really in crazy what, what's already ongoing right now, and that's my concern. Uh, I wonder where where actually truly will we be in hundred years. Um, so it's clear that that's a concern. That is uh, not a concern. It's actually really bad. It's a reality problem um, that nobody's ever really truly solved and addressed. So you have to live with it, and um, yeah, life moves on. I mean, we will live with it. But the impacts, number one, have been underestimated. Number two, have not been mitigated yet whatsoever. Um, and the key issue here, number three, obviously, is carbon dioxide and these greenhouse gases, greenhouse gases that are known to be there. Um, it's not acknowledged, in my view, and um, it's a big issue how we deal with this. Uh, in the meantime, it must be acknowledged, it must be improved, and then we live with it. But again, I think the lack of snow worldwide uh, is, is, is changing our whole perception of landscapes of seasons, of well-being, of the concept of holiday for some people, uh, of the concept of um, yeah food security eventually, and, and where the water comes from, and who pays for it, and so on. And water shortage obviously plays a role, and desertification are affected. So anyway, you can go on with this for a long time. Uh, I just um, want to highlight you some of the points that I've seen in my own research um, worldwide in some places. Um, that are meant to be the hotspots, I think, or initially at least the hotspots of, of cold and cold and ice, of, 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 of snow and ice, of glaciers, uh, of all these things. And um, yeah, it will affect it and it's, it's, it's severe. And I can talk about it, I can share it with you, but the true implications are costing lives, the lives of people. It will create more poverty because people have to have water. If they don't have it, then they will be poorer. Um, and water is an incredible commodity for an industry. Most industrial um, companies are somehow located near a river, funny enough, or near the waterfront because it's a free ecological service they get there. Uh, so anyway, um, it has a lot to do with production and with the wealth and how we distribute it. So it concerns me that we are losing the snow. And I see it. I see it dramatically. Uh, I can take photos. I can show it. I can talk about it. But it's it's something that that really hasn't hit my mind yet. But well, it has. But um, yeah, the severity of it is is so so dramatic, and it's all man-made. That that's really the issue. It, it's it literally created the snow problem was really designed or created or <laughs> yeah not managed the last fifty years. It's probably ongoing for over hundred fifty years when you really look at it hard. But in reality, the last fifty years, the last forty years have been really really extreme, and there was no mitigation. Nobody stopped it. it, it it's it just uh, an ongoing ignorance, an ongoing effort to literally destroy snow mm, mm, willingly or unwillingly, but but the point is it's gone and and in many cases. And that will not get better. I, I don't see that it getting better any anytime soon. So there's a whole culture of, of this and um, yeah, throwing our hands in the air and say, what do we do? 
well, we need to do something. Otherwise, um, it would be very bad for us and for our children and for the children of our children and for Mother Earth overall. So anyway, I leave it there. But I wanted to show you um, this, um, um, what I've observed. I want to share that with you. And we'll leave it there. Okay, thanks so much. Thanks for listening. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And um, see you next time. Thanks so much. Goodbye.